Good morning, church. It's good to see you all here this morning, and it's again my privilege to break the word today for us all. And as we continue our study through the book of Philippians, I invite you to turn with me to chapter 3. I want to say a public thank you to Tim and for Pastor Chad who led our seminar this past weekend. And for those of you who attended, it was encouraging to the rest of us uh, who want to plan and have these opportunities for you to learn more about our faith and learn more about uh, the, the Christianity that we enjoy. Uh, and uh, I believe, I told Pastor Tim yesterday, that I think that whether he intended it or not, that the planning of chapter 3 of Philippians bookending uh, the seminar that we had this weekend was, uh, was quite timely. Uh, so hopefully as you think about Pastor Tim's message last week and the message today, uh, and if you were here this past weekend, uh, that you will hopefully find these things cementing themselves together. However, I have to put, give you this disclaimer that um, if you were to simply take Pastor Tim's message and isolate it last week or isolate the message that you're about to hear this morning as I plan for it to go, that there is always the potential of going in two different extremes. Uh, you could take the message that Pastor Tim uh, brought last week and it could lead someone to think, well, as good as I can be, there's nothing that I can do to be saved. God has done it all, so I'm not going to do anything. And while there is some elements of truth in that, we have to be careful to just simply say, well, I'm just going to sit on the pew. If God saves me, he saves me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And I'm just going to sit here and let, you know, just go through life as I wish. Or... And again, this is a very serious uh, caution for the message today that you hear from me. To not take it isolated because you may think, well, wait a minute. Pastor Mark's talking about how we are to do everything. So please save your comments and conclusions to after the message is finished. I realize that may be a while from now, but that's okay. You're conditioned for that. but anyway, so having said all, giving you all the disclaimers, all the warnings, uh, let's look at the word together. Uh, as we think about seriously the ideas that Reformed theology brings for us to consider, or when we think about what Paul is writing to the church at Philippi as well as to us later. About we, we still have to wrestle with that concept of human responsibility. What, then just what am I responsible for? Uh, I mean, if God has accomplished everything, or if I'm supposed to believe, or I'm supposed to work, or I'm supposed to do this, just where does the responsibility lie? So hopefully we can answer that question, because you'll come across that not only in your own life, but as you talk to other people about faith. You could be like a radio host that I heard this past week who... He does a lot of street evangelism, and he happened to be on the campus of the University of Georgia this past week, and he was talking, while he normally talks to students, he found an opportunity where there were two Mormons that were set up, and they were also expressing their, uh, you know, or enjoying the uh, freedom they have to express their religious thoughts, and so he went to ask them a few questions, and it wasn't in no time at all 
before it all came about, I mean, he just, he was unashamedly asking, he said, you are very devoted to what you do. How does that play a part? And while they made a statement that Jesus Christ was their Lord and Savior, you could not separate it from their, their the works that they were doing. That you know, And they would use James' comments uh, from the book of James about you know, faith without works is dead. Uh, but they were placing a huge emphasis on what they were accomplishing. Where does that fit? Because you may hear some of the things that I say this morning and you say, well, that doesn't sound a lot different. But hopefully as we consider the Scriptures within the context in which we find it, surrounded by and undergirded by the truth that we find throughout the Word of God, that we'll have a proper understanding of where our responsibility lies. We have to remember what Paul said earlier in Philippians chapter 1, verse 25, that he was convinced that it was more necessary for the sake of me, speaking of himself, to remain on in the flesh. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of the faith. So even at the beginning of this letter, as we continue studying it, Paul's already set the stage that he is ministering for the purpose of our faith progressing and for our joy to progress. So, let's go to the Lord and ask Him for help as we study. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, the the last thing that I want to happen is for me to get in the way of Your Word going forth. While I am the one speaking, Father, may it be Your words that are heard. Lord, may the power that's found within Your Word be the change factor. May that be what transforms our minds so that we can be more like Christ and that as we hear, faith may come. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would do what you have appointed to do today and accomplish it through the preaching of your Word so that you may receive the glory and the honor and that Jesus Christ would be made much of today. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As you were growing up, perhaps you heard the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, the earlier you were, it would be nothing more um, complicated than maybe finding an old scrap piece of wood or maybe some duct tape that your dad had in his toolbox. Or if you were like my brother and I, we found all different types of ways to live out our dreams with his roll of duct tape and electrical tape. And as we were growing up, he was forever looking for it because we would always find wherever he hid it to do whatever we were building dreams around. It could be an outfit that someone that you looked up to wore and you would try to dress yourself with it. Or there may be, uh, again, all different types of things that you would do to live out your dreams of what you were hoping to do when you grew up. And as we grow older, we really don't change much, but maybe we change the means by which we try to prepare ourselves. For we realize that if we want to do this particular occupation, we may need to go to a particular type of school. Or if we want to go to a certain place or have certain type of experiences, we have to to gain some knowledge or experience that way. Or we need to speak to an expert. Or we need to go talk to our guidance counselor so that somebody can give us some more specifics about what we do. And even as adults... 
as we prepare for retirement or as we prepare or for that promotion or as we prepare for that next job or as we prepare for that next relationship. We, we seek out advice and we try to find people that will help us, uh, give us what it takes to complete that task. I mean, when you're a little kid dreaming about what you want to be, you could imagine it and you weren't limited to anything. You could just dream and hope that one day you could do it, but you really had no concept of what that meant. The older you get, you realize that there are limitations. You realize that there are certain qualifications. You realize that there are certain expectations to be able to complete, to fulfill whatever it was being dreamt in your mind or whatever it was making your heart pound fast or whatever was motivating you to get up in the morning. So just think for a moment, what is it that you do to prepare yourself for that? Or do you feel like it's your point in life that you have arrived? That whatever you feel like God has created you to do, or whatever you had the ambition to pursue in life, do you feel like you've made it? Those are the people who usually spend the remaining part of their life depressed. You think about someone like Neil Armstrong who accomplished a great amount as an astronaut. And if you were to talk to him or read anything that he's written concerning his experience in life since then, what do you do? I mean, you're on the moon. What, what greater expectation could you have? Hopefully you haven't gotten to the point where you feel like you've lived it up to the point there's nothing else for you to do. Now that goes in the secular sense, but it also relates to the spiritual, which that's what we're going to spend most of our time hopefully talking about today. But it's incredible that you can watch TV, and if you only did it for 15 minutes, because of the way they organize things, now that usually means there's going to be about 7 minutes of commercial for every 15 minutes that you watch. Unless it's a football game, and thankfully, you have to. that's the reason why I love baseball, because it could be 30 minutes before you have a commercial break. But when they finally get their chance, what are they trying to do? They're trying to persuade you as to how you should fulfill your life. Now, in some ways, it could be in a very short allotted amount of time, like a hamburger commercial. You know, they're not really thinking about what you're going to do for the rest of your life. They just want to know what you're going to do for the next 15 minutes. Can you make it to Hardee's and back before the game picks back up? Can you go pick that pizza before halftime's over, which I wasn't able to do yesterday? Uh, but there's something out there in the marketing field that it could be uh, something long-term like your retirement. I don't remember there being so many commercials about retirement when I was growing up. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention because I didn't care about it. But I mean, there's, it seems like every other commercial is about who you're investing in today. Who, who do you invest with? Who do you invest with? Where's your investment set? What are you going to do for life? What are you going to do? And, and they're trying to persuade you about how you should prepare your life. How you can get to the point of fulfillment. And you would think that as important as eternity is as a concept, that people would spend a lot more time thinking about how they can prepare themselves for that. However, we know how that goes even as believers. We struggle with the temptations of dealing more with the temporal than we do with the uh, spiritual and eternal. However, let us bring ourselves back to the statement that that unifies. It's not 
uh, going to be the point of every message, but the, the statement sort of unifies all of our messages from the book of Philippians. And that is, our life is fulfilling when we joyfully surrender to our Master's will and work as He has ordered it for our good and for His glory. This statement implies that there is something that you're shooting for in the end. We want to be fulfilled. And we want our life to be fulfilled as we joyfully surrender. And that is a lifelong effort. And we don't just simply surrender to the whims of life or to that commercial that you see on TV. We're surrendering to something much greater than that. The Master's will and work as He's ordered it. Just like we read earlier in the the worship uh, service today from Romans chapter 8. For His good, or for our good and His glory. That's the way he's, he's ordered it, so that we could be fulfilled, so that we could have a measure of completion and that we would have some standard by which we're measuring it, so that as we're going through life, am I getting closer to it? Have I reached it? Uh, am I somewhere, I mean, have I been worried about it? Somewhere along the way, hopefully we'll find our place here in Philippians chapter 3. So we'll begin reading in verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this. And again, remembering this refers back to Pastor Tim's message from last week. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Without having read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 3, we realize that Paul in verse 12 and following makes us aware that something is missing. Something's missing. We know that because he uses some phraseology that leads us to the thing that is missing. The thing that's missing we find in verse 14, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll explain what, I, what is meant by that, but that's what's missing. He leads up to verse 14 by in verse 12 by saying, not that I have already attain, obtained. That word obtain simply means, it, it means to take. I, ha, I haven't taken it yet. I haven't received it yet. But it implies that there is some volition involved. At this point, I haven't, I haven't received it. Verse 13, he goes on, Brothers, I do not consider myself that I have made it my own. Interestingly enough, in verse 13, that term in which he uses made it my own is an extreme version of the word that he used earlier in verse 13, or verse 12 rather. So I haven't, not that I've already obtained it, but also, brothers, I want to acknowledge to you that I haven't even forcefully taken hold of it. I haven't taken it down. What is it that he hasn't taken? Well, the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call, verse, in verse 14, 
when we have that word call in Scripture, more times than not, it's going to be used as a divine call. That's the reason why it's translated uh, the upward call of God. So we're not just talking about any type of invitation or any type of solicitation. We're talking about an upward call. And Paul is saying, at this point, I haven't just completely taken hold of it yet. I haven't obtained it already. Verse 12, he even goes on to say, or am already perfect. Now that word for perfect is the same Greek word Uh, or at least the same root in which Jesus, when he was on the cross, he said, it is finished. Okay, so that gives you an idea of what this term that Paul's saying. In other words, Paul's saying, for my life, it isn't finished yet. It isn't like that telescope that when uh, the, the admiral's looking across the horizon of the sea, that he stretches out that telescope completely so that he can get the full use out of that telescope. Paul is saying, I haven't completely extended. I'm not completely perfect yet. I haven't obtained that yet. So that is what it is that he's missing. Now, just to kind of remind ourselves of what he's talking about, let's review what he said in verses 8 through 11. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord to gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we can garner from the statement that Paul made in verses 8-11 through 11, that the thing that Paul is grasping for isn't, his righteous standing before God. He's already explained that his attempt to do that was nothing but waste. So what is it left in verses 8-11 through that Paul has not yet attained to that he's referring to? Well, again, if we think about to gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteous moan that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, well... We've eliminated that. That's not what he's stretching for. That's not what he's going to be striving for or pressing on for. That's not the prize that he's speaking about not having yet. Or the righteousness of God that depends on faith. That's not what he's talking about. The faith that he has in God of what Christ has done for him. That depends on faith. Because his faith is there. It's active. He's believing. He's committed. But what is it that he hasn't? Well, if you follow on through that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, until I die, there's something that's missing. And it involves knowing him. It involves the power of his resurrection that frees us from sin. It involves sharing his sufferings, which means ministering on his behalf and becoming like him in his death so that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So that when I die, I know I'm with Christ. There's something missing that will get me there. So please don't misunderstand that when we talk about pressing on or striving, that we're referring to striving or pressing on to obtain a righteousness that I can find within myself. For he's already covered that. He's already made it clear that if anybody's been able to do it, it would have been him. 
But when he considered the matter, all of his righteousness was waste. Refuse. But something is missing. If you want to take the connection of, of the analogy last week of, of, of discovering that there's a huge amount of money in your bank account now, when you thought on your own you had money, but it turned out to be nothing more than debt, and now all of a sudden someone has given you something that wasn't yours to begin with, but he gave it to you, between that and the resurrection is where we're at this morning. Because you got it if you're a believer in Christ. So, let's talk a little bit about that rich uncle with all the money. Well, let's talk about what we do in light of that rich uncle with all the money. Okay? So, Paul makes it clear here in chapter 3, verse 12 through 14, that something's missing. What do we do? Well, we strive to obtain it. We strive to obtain it. Verse 12, he says, But I press on. He aggressively chases it down to make it his own. Verse 14, I press on. Same word, toward the goal. Pressing on. Aggressively chasing it. It's Sunday morning. Do you consider anything that you've done today aggressively chasing other than your children? I I know that was coming. If you're aggressively chasing your children, trying to get them ready for church, that's one thing. But that's similar to what we're talking about. There's a lot of believers, or at least a lot of professors, not the teaching type, but the ones with their mouth, professing that they're not striving for anything. Good. They're not aggressively chasing anything down because it's all done. Nothing for me to do. And if they're talking about their righteous standing before God, that would be correct. If they're talking about that point of receiving the righteousness of God until the time they're resurrected from the dead, they're wrong. That's what we're talking about today. Paul says, I press on to make it my own. He says, I press toward the goal, which that word in verse 14 is a mark that is aimed at. It's a bullseye. He's not just wondrously going energetically, just doing anything that comes about. He's got a focus. He's got a, a target in mind. And he wants to seize it. He wants to make it his own. He presses on toward the goal for the prize of the upper call. Again, that divine calling that God has placed on him. He, he's, he, he's pressing on toward that prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Literally, if you look at it in the Greek, which again, that's important because in the Greek language, the emphasis is going to be placed on the words at the beginning of a statement or a phrase or a sentence. And if you look at it in the Greek, it says literally, toward the goal, I press on. So it's not so much about what I'm doing, it's about what I'm doing it towards. So what is it? What is he stressing or striving, or pressing on so greatly for. Why does he have to do this? Didn't Christ accomplish it all? Again, if we're talking about our standing in Christ, he's covered it. It's done. But when we accept that, when we believe it, when we receive that gift of grace, until the day in which we are resurrected from the dead, 
There's a lot of knowing Christ. There's a lot of growing up. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of power of the resurrection. It's, it's, it's a lot of becoming like Him in death that we press on through doing. This is not a new concept that Paul is introducing to the church at Philippi here. Remember, in chapter 2, verse 12, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Not work for it. Not work at it. But work it out. What God has given you in this upward call. Work it out. Act it out. Even last week we were reminded what you've been given, now you've got the rest of your life to spend it. You've got to live it out. It's not to be hoarded. It's not to be a mental idea in your mind that we're just, well, I I know who God is. I I believe what God did. I I understand what it was for. No, it has to be lived out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, how are we to do this? He says in verse 13, but one thing I do, while I haven't accomplished it, while I'm not complete, while I haven't finished it, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now, what in the world could be he be talking about? What he talked about in the first part of chapter 3. All of his works as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew, uh, as a citizen. All the things that he would once in his life taking courage and pride in. Forgetting all that stuff. I forget trying to earn my salvation. I forget trying to save myself and make myself righteous before God. I forget all of that. And I strain forward to what lies ahead. I think of this as someone who's in a very high windstorm. Now last week it was a really great rainstorm down on the eastern coast that created a lot of havoc. But there was a lot of wind as well. And when you watch even the guy on the Weather Channel or anybody else who wants to be like the guy on the Weather Channel, they're out there. They, they can't do the report from a stationary camera by itself and just let you see what's going on. You have to like see what the effects are on a human being that's standing in that weather storm, right? And every now and then, you, you know, you'd see them you know, do this number over here. And it's not because their leg grew shorter. It's because they realized that they weren't going to be able to stand up if they didn't sort of resist, Right? Now, that's a different idea than what Paul's talking about. That's a defensive mechanism. That's up here against the storm, and you're just trying to stand hold. And there are some Christian doctrines around that, but that's not what we're talking about today. What Paul is talking about is he's running against the wind. He's not just simply trying to stand straight up in the wind. He is running face first into the wind. He is running against the stream. He is like a fish, as it were, Swimming upstream. He is straining ahead. And there are some things that we can see elsewhere in Scripture that helps us prepare ourselves for that and, and equip us for that. Yeah, we're not just to forget the rubbish that once placed that we once placed our confidence in, like Paul, but we're to strain towards the mark. I've heard in times past that from runners, I, I'm not a I used to be a runner, my knees went bad and now I'm just a walker. 
but that I remember I never won a race because I never ran a race. That that usually is a precursor to winning one. You have to actually be in one. But I never ran a, a race. But for those who did, if you talk to them, sometimes their strategy, uh, particularly, is that they don't focus on the tape that they'll be crossing. Because the human tendency, if you if you focus on that tape, is as you get closer to that tape, you're, well, that's all you're shooting for, and so you will unintentionally slow down because you're focused on that tape. However, most runners that I've heard will focus their attention beyond the tape. So that as they cross the finish line, that they're running as, as swiftly as they can in their mind thinking, I've still got further to go. I can't, stop, I can't pull up short and just hope I slide into the home plate. I'm actually going through. And I think that would help us sometimes, is particularly when we think about some other scriptures that help us strive to obtain the prize. The first thing I believe we have to do is, is we find in scripture is in Hebrews chapter 12, we're told that we are to lay aside the distractions. Now listen, or read, follow along. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if we are going to finish the course, our course, as Jesus finished his course, let us do as he did. But we have to set aside, we have to put aside the things that so easily weigh us down. Or as the King James puts it, that so easily besets us. We don't use that terminology, but it sounds kind of neat, right? When you think about besetting, it's putting to the side. Things that get you off track. We need to put those things out of the way. And you may be familiar as as you continue to grow as a believer. Your awareness... But what creates an obstacle for you becomes greater and greater, clearer and clearer, right? It's not the other way around. It's not the more you walk with God, the more I do. I don't even know what, you know, it's an obstacle for me. I don't know what trips me up. I don't know where my temptations are. No, the more you try to follow after God, the more you will realize just how temptable you are. And realize where your weaknesses are at. And when we identify those The writer of Hebrews is expressing this greatly. You are to set those things aside. You are to put those things off. In Luke chapter 9, we're reminded of those distractions. Jesus, as he was calling others, he he said, follow me. Luke 9, 59. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What are you looking back at? What, so what easily trips you up? If you're going to strive for the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ... You're not going to be able to easily get it if you are cumbered down 
with all the weights of temptation and sin in your life. Doesn't mean there won't be any. It just means you need to put an effort into getting rid of it, throwing it off. You look at runners today, if you looked at the Olympics, you might be embarrassed or, or humiliated to some degree to see what people wear or don't wear. It looks like they've airbrushed you know, body paint on to, to run down the track. And it's all a, to do what? To keep from having anything resisting the wind. They go a little excessive, I think, but I understand what their point is. I didn't realize that a pair of umbros really weighed you down that much. But apparently so. But when it comes to the Christian life, when we're pursuing the prize, when we're pursuing that mark, when we're pursuing the high calling of God, we need to strip ourselves down of anything that would weigh us down so that we can obtain it. Not just passively. Well, when I get there, I'll get there. But getting it. When we think of what Jesus Christ did, even in Hebrews chapter 12, He finished it. He endured it. Interestingly enough, as well, we find from Hebrews chapter 12, that Jesus demonstrated His faithfulness in doing so. Jesus didn't need to earn any favor with God in doing it, but you know what? He was faithful, which produced what? Obedience, the obedience that Paul writes about in Ephesians, or Philippians chapter 2, in which Jesus Christ, who did not consider to be robbery, he didn't think it anything to be considered God. He humbled himself, came in the form of a servant, and what did he do? He humbled himself even to the point of death, the death of a cross. Jesus' obedience was fulfilled through his faith. In his dedication to God. Not because he was trying to earn something with the Father. It wasn't if God the Father kicked the Son out of heaven and said, well, until you do something good, I'm not going to let you back. No, he came in obedience. And that's the obedience and the faith that we are to have. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. We read that together in our service today. So let us... For the joy that was set before that was set before us, it's almost like our statement from Philippians and Hebrews chapter twelve sort of kind of line up together, right? Because we're to submit to that, knowing that that joy will be fulfilling for us, just as it was for Christ. Because it was for the joy that was set before Him that He endured a cross. So as we strive, as we press on. It requires us to lay aside the distractions. Second thing, it also requires us to exercise self-control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But he says, we're running for something that doesn't perish. We're running for something that's imperishable. The high calling that we have in God in Christ Jesus is an imperishable prize that we strive for. And until the day we are resurrected from the dead, we are pressing on to get it. Paul says, so I don't run aimlessly. 
I don't box as one beating the air. I'm not shadow boxing. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul understood that his exercise of self-control wasn't just a matter for himself to prepare himself to run properly, but also he was thinking about the ones who were looking at him. When others look at your life, what do they see you striving after? Because you are striving for something. I promise you, you, are, you may think you're deceiving yourself. And, oh, I'm, I'm just lazy. I don't strive after. Yes, even if it's for complacency, you're striving for something. What is it that people are seeing you strive after? Are they seeing you strive after a high calling of God? Or are they seeing you strive after a retirement account? Or are they seeing you strive after another one of these? Or are they stri- see you striving after another one of those? Or a better one of these? What is it that they're seeing you strive after? Paul was concerned that not only that he would be disqualified from what he was not doing preparing himself for a race, but what others would look at him that once he ran, people would look and say, wait a minute, that wasn't the same thing. Paul kept preaching this, but yet he was doing this. So we must exercise self-control. We must discipline our body. Which is proof, once again, that even once we become a believer, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination when it comes to sin. We've got to discipline our body. And he's not talking about going to Planet Fitness, even though that doesn't hurt anything. I'm proof of that. I'm still living. And I'm sure I have to buy new clothes because my muscles are getting so much bigger. But that's not the reason. I'm disciplining my body. But in a spiritual sense, I've got to discipline my body. Once I have taken away the things that so easily get me off track and set them to, set them to the side, I have to make sure now, now that I've got my body free from resistance, now I've got to make sure my body is in the proper shape to run. So that the third thing we see that we can endure, endure suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Paul says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim, same language there, his, 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 what he's pressing on toward, his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is a hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, now again, notice that it's because that the gospel he's preaching isn't bound. Even though physically he is sitting, as he's writing the letter to the Philippians, he is bound in a prison. The gospel's not bound. And since the gospel is not bound, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Even though I'm bound, I want everybody else to keep pressing on to that prize. I want everybody who Jesus Christ has died for and has saved and God has brought into the family of God, I want them all to receive that eternal glory. I want them all to to, to go and press on. This is a... Saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also denies us. If we are faithless, he remains, or he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now all of these things, laying aside distractions, exercising self-control, enduring suffering, 
Paul includes it within the context of what? Finishing. We lay aside every weight. Why? Because we want to finish like Christ. We exercise self-control. Why? So that we can run the race well and finish. He endures suffering because he knows that if we endure suffering, we will receive a prize. So Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, is not talking about what we receive from Christ when he saves us and gives us a proper right standing before a holy, righteous God. But he's talking about what we're striving to obtain until the day we see him and he comes again. That's a lot of striving. That's a lot of working out of our salvation. Again, not working for our salvation, but working our salvation out. And we can do this knowing that Christ has secured it. Verse 12, back in Philippians chapter 3, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Christ Jesus, I have not obtained it, but what I'm striving for is to get because Christ Jesus has already gotten. He's gotten me. He's already taken me. That's why I press on. I'm not pressing on so that He will take me. But this is something, again, Paul has been received in a passive sense. Someone else has received him. He's he's not receiving himself. Someone else has received him. And he says it's Jesus Christ who has laid hold of me. Again, the way the structure of the sentence is, I was laid hold of by Christ. This is consistent with what he said back in chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to be the one that brings it to completion. Why? Because he's the one who started it. Chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. To the Ephesians, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. Not that we could walk in them, but we should walk in them. Christ has secured it. Christ is living. Even if we think about Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, the life that I live, having been crucified with Christ, I'm no longer living, but the life that I do live, what? It's Christ living through me. So this is no effort that Paul is making on his own, having already obliterated uh, the religious legalism that he was trapped in, saying, well, I can't do that, but done. But you know what? Now, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to start working for my salvation. No! He says, now I'm finally free to work it out. And I'm going to press on until I've obtained it. Until it's mine. And that's our word today. If you, having found yourself tainted by sin or or, or understanding what core corruption means to mankind, and you have heard that call of God, that high calling of God that, that, that convicts you of your sin and leads you to believe 
and to, and to believe in Christ, and you are now His, He has made you His own, and He has secured it so that you will not just be preserved, but you will persevere. Paul says, let us continue in that. It's not enough to just consider yourself, well, I'm here. Now, your salvation is sure. But if your salvation is sure, you will be faithful. If you're not living out a life of faithfulness, I'm not saying that you're not a believer, I'm just saying that you should go and study. You should go and you should search. You should go and reason within yourself and try to determine your salvation, the genuineness of your faith. Because doubt comes. Discouragement comes. There's even deception that can affect the way we think. And keep us from thinking properly. But if you're secure in Christ, you will be faithful. You will persevere. Paul says, let those of us who are fully mature... (laughs) Isn't that funny? Wait a minute, Paul. You, You said you weren't mature. And it's one of those things that you can't explain to your five year old and you can't even explain it to your 55 year old because it blows our mind. But only the mature people understand they're not mature. For those of us who are in Christ and we're growing in Christ and, we, and, our, and our understanding is mature, we realize just how immature we are. And that sounds crazy. But Paul says, if you think anything otherwise, God's going to reveal that to you also. But let those of us who are mature, that is fully grown, think this way. Let us think about pressing on. Let us think about striving. Let us think about obtaining that which has been secured for us in Christ. Let us continue in it. Only, verse 16, let us hold true to what we have attained. That phrase, hold true, comes from the idea of walking in step with a rule. Not legalism. Don't misunderstand what there's not twelve rules that now that you're a believer, you've got to fulfill all these twelve steps before you can be a true believer. But there is a standard. There is a standard. Sometimes in Christianity we, we, we go way over to the other side and think, well, we're not going to be legalistic, but we're going to just give you a license to do whatever you want to, because once saved always say, wrong. There is a standard by which we live. Jesus Christ proved that standard and we are to strive after that standard. We are to be holy as He is holy. Our lifestyle should change to be like God intended for it to be. The way we think should change to be like God intends for us to think. Our actions should change to be what God wants us to do. And we should hold true to that which we've attained. And as we continue to learn about what we should do, as we continue to learn how we should now live, as we continue to grow in our stature of faith in Christ, we should become more and more like the founder and perfecter of our faith.
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, because he knew that God had given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue is going to confess, every knee is going to bow, whether they're in heaven, whether they're on earth, or whether they're beneath the earth, to the glory of God the Father. That's why we strive. That's why we press on. To get that mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. What direction are you headed today? How complete are you today? Are you striving? I'd like for us to consider those things as we once again stand and sing together. He will hold me fast. I hope you've noticed that the songs that we've sung today, the scriptures that we have read together, and hopefully the word that we've studied today, brings God's work of salvation and you cannot separate it from His love. That's why He secures you. That's why He saves you. That's why He gives you in your heart as a believer to want to press on. That's why He gives you the motivation to when He finally comes once again, that you will be found in His righteousness and His righteousness alone. And this song helps us consider those things knowing that He holds us fast. So let's stand together as we close our service and sing together.